Well, it's good to be back right here in the pulpit, getting to preach another message from God's Word. I've read, uh, read many books uh, in my life. Uh, I, I'm a, a reader. I like to read all kinds of different subjects. I like a lot of Westerns. I like uh, some military books. Um, I've read big books, little books. I've written, read a uh, book, Lonesome Dove. Everybody here has probably seen the movie. It's a book about that thick. It takes a while to get through it. <clears throat> but I, when I started reading, buddy, I turned the pages and I, could, I just uh, read right through it. There's oftentimes I'll take a book and I'll read it and I'll look up and it'll be in the, in the wee hours of the morning and I've read through that book. It should have taken a couple of days to get there, but I've, I've read it. And many of us are avid readers. Many people like to sit around and watch television and all sorts of media and devote lots of time to those sort of things. But no book, no movie, no media source has ever done or come close to doing what the Word of God has done. No other source has been such a confrontational matter. The Word of God is a confrontational book. Its main figurehead, Christ, is probably the most confrontational figure that ever lived. It's the most dividing figure. Twelve apostles, millions of first century Christians, hundreds and thousands of missionaries have been willing to die to make sure the gospel goes forth. One of the reasons I have faith in the Word of God today is because I know a little of the history of all the Christians that died just in that first century because they believed in this Word so much. And the reason they believed in it so much is because they knew the author and perfecter of their faith. And they knew that it was true. They knew it so much that they were willing to die heinous deaths. John's the only one who escaped death by the hand of others as an apostle, but he himself was tortured and persecuted and beaten. The Tyndale Bible, I'm sure you've heard of the Tyndale Bible. It's... Uh, the person that Matthew Tyndale, who uh, brought it about, tried to bring it into the hands of hearers, died a horrible death because of it. Many Bible writers or Bible translators through the years have been put to death for such crimes. There are many countries today where it is illegal to carry the gospel. I knew a preacher by the name of Perry Cothran. 
who in his 90s was still smuggling Bibles in his suitcase into China. He died at 101, I believe, Perry did. But well up into his 90s, he was making trips, hours, long trips, with suitcases full of Bibles, smuggling them in to try to get them in the hands of those who needed to hear. What would cause man, a man, men, women, to go to such extreme measures to put their lives in such peril Not an ordinary book, not a normal book, but a book that was inspired and written wholly by God. Tonight I want to talk to you about the precious Word of God. Hosea, to start off with, chapter 4, 6, many of you know this passage, but one of the sadnesses with this wonderful book we call the Holy Bible. You know, it's one of the largest sellers every year. At Christmas, it's still the number one selling book in the world at Christmas time. King James Version Bible is. And for it to have been around so long, for it to be so readily available. I have a phone right here that has it on it. I have a computer right here that has it on it. I have my handheld has it on it. I have a reader at home that has it on it. I have an iPad at home that has it on it. For it to be so readily available, but yet so underutilized in today's time is a very sad thing. There have been men and women who have given up their lives For one Bible. I've often wondered if something happened here in America. Doesn't seem as far-fetched as it used to when I used this illustration years ago. But if something were to take place where you and I couldn't own the copy of God's Word. And then a few years down the road we were able to get back our freedoms, would there be enough of us and our knowledge of God's Word to be able to rewrite the Bible in its entirety? Would we be able, by memory, to retell the story as God would intend it if our liberties were threatened here in America? Doesn't seem that far-fetched anymore, does it? It doesn't seem like that, you know, I used to say that in sermons 15 years ago and, you know, I really never thought that could be a reality. We're living in a world, a crazy world that I'm not sure what's going to happen. But have I hidden away God's word within my heart so that I could retell the story? Have you? We need to think about that. Hosea 4, 6 tells... My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget 
your children. You know, I think back to King Josiah. And there was a period of time before King Josiah ruled, a generation of people had forgotten God and His Word. Could it happen again? Hosea says it can. And he says that if we reject knowledge and forget about Him, He'll forget about our children. It's not going to happen on my watch. My children are going to know God's Word. Your children need to know God's Word. We need to know God's Word. We need to be able to retell this wonderful story. Turn with me to John, the 6th chapter, verse 44 through 45. We probably won't get to get to all these passages, but we're going to get to get to some of them. So let's turn together to John, chapter 6, verse 44. And that passage reads, No one can come to me... No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If you want to know how to help people come to the Father, come to the cross, give them the knowledge of the Bible. Teach them to study God's Word. If you want to develop faith, it comes by hearing the Word of God. And that's the only way. We have to be, in the Lord's church, knowledgeable. The Word of God is useful. It is a tool. It is a sword. But left in its sheath, it does no good. We've got to learn how to use it. And if we use it, we can convert souls. Let's turn to Psalm, the 19th Psalm, verse 7. Let's turn together. Let's all be looking in God's Word when we hear it preached. The 19th Psalm, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In the hands of any person, young, old, with just a little bit of noodle up here, and I'm proving it right here because I just got a little bit, I think. You can convert souls. All it takes is knowing God's Word and a love for the lost. We need to utilize God's Word to make, the wise, or make uh, people wise that were once simple in their knowledge of God. I have seen God's Word convert souls. It converted me. I'm telling you, I was the most hard-headed Hard-hearted case there ever was. And if, it, if I can be converted, if I can study and hear the Word of God and be converted, 
There's hope for everyone. It took a while, didn't it, Luann? Luann studied with me. She knew her word. Parents, it's important that your daughters know God's word. There have been, if I asked a show of hands here, it'd be a lot of you. There have been a lot of good Christian men that were first brought to Christ because their wives or their girlfriends were knowledgeable students of God's Word. And I'm one of them. The Word of God converts. But it's only going to convert if you're able to carry that gospel to other people. It saves. The Word of God is our salvation. It's how we come in contact with the knowledge of Christ. James 1, 21. Let's turn there together. James 1, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now the only way that that word is going to be able to save your soul is if you're willing to get rid of the wickedness in your life. If you're willing to receive the implanted word of God. It tells us in the book of Acts and 2 right after 38, that those that gladly received the Word of God were added to the Lord's church. A lot of times we blow past that and we don't see that gladly received part. How many times have you set through a sermon, set through a lesson that your mind and heart wasn't ready to receive? That you hadn't prepared yourself to be ready to receive it? We have got to prepare our hearts, our minds, as if you would prepare a field. We must till it, work on it, so that we can receive God's Word and it have an effect in our lives. It's not just going to be magical. It's not, you know, I wish that I could stand up here with my magic wand and say, Abracadabra, and everyone be transformed. But it's not that way. We've got to make room in our hearts and in our minds for God's Word by getting rid of the evil and wickedness in our lives. We've got to work on ourselves to be able to receive the Word which brings about salvation. Let's turn to the 119th Psalm. The 119th Psalm. So how do we work on this problem of sin? 119, verse 11. How do we work on sin? We store up something good. 119, 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Out of the overflow of the heart speaks the mouth. If you want good things to come out, then you've got to make yourself a storehouse of good. A storehouse of God's Word. If you want to speak the truth, 
teach the truth, walk the truth, live the truth, then it's got to be stored up inside of you. I'm going to ask you this morning, if your life, if your heart, if your mind could be looked up as a pantry, how much storage of God's Word do you have filling that pantry up? Would you be willing to make the winner on it? Is it full? Is it running over? Or are there just a few jars on the shelf? If we want sin out of our lives, if we want to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk, then we've got to store up God's Word in our lives. And there is power in that Word. There is power in God's Word. I'm not talking about the power of the apostles, and I'm not talking about the power of casting out demons. But there is power today in God's Word just as well as it was written 2,000 years ago. I and you here tonight are proof of that power. The transformation, and, and I don't, I'm not being braggadocious or anything like that because it was not of me. But the 38-year-old Nat Ayers is a better man than the 19-year-old. Nat Ayers was when he wasn't a Christian. And the 48-year-old Nat Ayers, I hope, is a way better man. And I hope at 58, it gets better and better. But it takes believing in that Word, putting your hope in that Word, knowing that that Word has power to change you, if you'll allow it to. Romans 1 and 16, turn with me. Romans 1, 16. This ought to be one that's marked in your Bible. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also to you and me, the Greek. The Gentile. There's power in God's Word. It is the power that saves us today. How would we know about Christ without His Word? How would we know how to find that treasure we talked about without the map? There's power in God's Word. Because yours and my salvation... Are contingent upon it. If there's not power in this word, then we're sitting here. The time we've spent this evening sitting here listening to these sermons, these young people thinking they're learning about Jesus is all for naught. Because if this book isn't true, then the hope that we have isn't true, and we're just wasting our time. But I believe, I believe because the way this word was orchestrated, put together, is like a tuning fork. I'm not saying that when you read it, somebody comes and spreads pixie dust over you and, 
And oh, now I'm transformed. No. If your heart, that instrument, is ready to receive God's Word, this Word is like a tuning fork that can help you bring that note, that awful sounding note, into beautiful harmony with God. When, when we, with our hearts and mind, truly devote ourselves to wanting to do what God wants us to do, with the application of God's Word, He can make our lives into something beautiful by tuning us, by molding us. But are you going to allow yourself to be tuned? Are you going to allow that power to work on you? 1 Peter 1.23 Let's turn there. 1 Peter 1.23 We're going back up to 22 and uh, just kick in another verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of an imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, that that grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of Lord remains Forever. We as children of God have gone through the new birth. We have been born again to imperishable seed. There are those that are still living in the old birth. That have not been born again. And one day just as surely as this grass out here is going to die and wither away this summer... One day, the scorching heat of fire is going to wither their lives away. How sad is that? But we who have been born again will live forever. We will live forever in God's beauty and His majesty and we'll be a part of it. The Word of God Helps us to be born again. It gives life. 119, Psalm 119, 50. Let's turn there. Psalm 119, verse 50. We're going to play Bible Olympics tonight. Fingers ought to be warmed up, ready to go. Psalm 119.50 This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. You ever had a bad day? You ever had a bad day? You ever had a bad week? A bad month? Maybe a bad year? Maybe you've had a bad life. Maybe 
you haven't had all the breaks that everyone else has had. Maybe life hasn't been fair to you at all. This isn't where it ends. This isn't the whole story. This is just a small portion of the story. The Word of God, when you read it, I read of men like Job, that although his life was bad, and it turned bad, and it got worse, there was hope in the end. God didn't forget about him. And He blessed him more in the end than He had in the beginning. Because He remained faithful unto death. I can't promise you you're not going to have a bad day, a bad week, a bad year. I've had them myself. But the Word of God gives me comfort. It gives me comfort in knowing where I'm at, who's with me, and where we're going. I hope the Word of God brings you comfort. Because right here it says... It gives me comfort and the promise gives me life. God is a keeper of His promises. He promised Christ He would not see corruption. And He didn't. He promised Him that He would not forsake Him. And He didn't. Christ made the same promise for you and I. He tells us in John 14 that He's coming back for us. That He's prepared a place for us. That if He goes, has gone away, surely He'll come back for us. That where He is, we may be also. I look forward to that day. That day gives me hope. That day, the hope of that day, gets me through the bad days. Because the story's not over here. It's just the beginning. We have an eternity to look forward to. This too shall pass. I've heard that all said all my life. This too shall pass. It's going to pass. One day all this is going to pass. It's going to pass away. And we're going to be in the glory of our Father. And we won't have to worry about all the bad in life. I look forward to that day. I hope you do too. I hope you get comfort from the Word of God. Alright. Let's see where we're at. In Acts 11.14, let's turn there. Acts 11.14. We as Christians have a book that is different than any other book. This book is meant for us to use. You know, there are other books that help you do... You know, every one of us has in our cars a book that you take it out and it'll tell you where the fuses are. It'll tell you how to do an oil change if you want. You break down the side of the road with a flat, it'll tell you how to fix that flat. It's an instruction manual. And we have an instruction manual for our lives. More importantly, we have an instruction manual that helps us in our job, our mission of reaching the lost. Let's look at Acts 11. 
He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. Now here, we are, um, we are talking about the converts that have been converted in Acts. And we're talking to a group here that has been converted. Um, the message today is still useful to convert souls to Christ. In our, in our uh, mission to reach lost souls. This word is different than any other word. It was brought to us by the Holy Spirit... Through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, to the apostles, to you and I. I can write a good book. I can write you a how-to book on uh, making a peanut butter sandwich. I had to do that one time in an English class. The instructions of how to make a peanut butter sandwich. But that's not inspired. That's not going to get you to heaven. The book we hold was inspired by God. It was God-breathed. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, if time permits. But it's different than any other message. It is a seed. Luke eight eleven. You know, a seed, one of the things about a seed, when I look at a seed, do you know what I see? I see potential. I see potential when I look at a seed. A seed, you really don't know what it's going to do when you put it in the ground. You don't know how it's going to react. But you do know there's something that's going to take place. So let's look at Luke 8.11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That once along the path, uh, there are those who heard it. Then the devil comes and takes it away. Uh, the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But, but here's the good part, as for that in the good soil... They are those who hear there they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now, guys, I have studied with many people through the years. Love to study with more. I want to study with a whole lot more. And I would love to say to you that Nat Ayers has a perfect batting average when it comes to to studies and putting people in the water and, and connecting them to Christ. That's not the case. I'd be a very poor batter uh, if I was playing baseball. Is that my job? Is my job making sure that the seed I sow gets in the water? Nope. I'd love for it to. Uh, when those days happen, boy, there's joy. But that doesn't always happen, does it? For every door you knock in door knocking, you don't always get the response you want. 
night we had a, have a lady here with her, her children, I know. I know that response. We knocked a lot of doors. Is it our job to ensure that this, thing, this place is packed with the, the seed that we've sown? No. That's between the one that received the seed and God. But when I count it up, I, I see that there's those that fell in the path, those that fell on rock, those that were choked out by the thorns, but then, let's see, path, rock, thorns, good soil. It's one in four. Those odds aren't real either, are they? It's not a one in four thing. It, it may be one in a hundred that you study with that, that might become obedient. But our job, yours and mine, I want you to hear this now. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say mine and Daniel's. I didn't say the preachers alone. I said yours and my job as Christians. Our number one job is to sow the seed, to, to, to scatter the seed wherever, whenever we possibly can. And it's up to the hearer and the good Lord to do the rest. We're not going to be judged on the rest. We are going to be judged at how well we're scattering seed. How are you when it comes to scattering seed? We need to do better, I believe. Sometimes the Word of God is a sword. Ephesians 6.17. Turn with me there. Ephesians 6.17. Ooh, my time is getting away from me. We just did one half. If I, if I could make everybody stay, we'd do another hour worth of it. But we're going to finish up with this one. Ephesians 6.17. I can get there. Come on, Piper. There we go. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you'll read that whole passage in context, and I encourage you to do so, you'll find that the only piece of armament that it mentions that is an offensive, an offensive uh, not offense, an offensive piece uh, to the armor is the sword. All the rest of the armor is meant to defend, to keep yourself uh, safe from the world. But we are not only called to, to defend ourselves from the world and keep ourselves unspotted on this battlefield. We've also got to be an offensive soldier. We've got to take out our swords and we have got to use our swords to bring souls to Christ. Now the problem with the sword is sometimes it hurts. Sometimes 
It divides. When I became a Christian, it divided. It did. When I became a Christian, there was a lot of division in my family. And it was hurtful. And it was sad. And there were tears. But today, there's great joy in my salvation. The Word of God divides. It cuts to the marrow. But we must tell the listeners the truth. In love. But one thing that happens when we open up ourselves, when we bleed out, there's healing that comes with that. Through the pain comes healing. We've got to be teachers and preachers of the truth. We're not always, it's, we're not always going to win the soul. There are those that are going it's, it's going to, the word's going to offend. And it's going to cut them away. But some are going to be pricked in the heart as they were on the day of Pentecost. And they're going to ask, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? And then we're going to get to say, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you can be added to the Lord's church. Tonight, I hope that we've I've pricked a heart. You know, I've heard many people tell preachers, you know, preacher, you stepped on my foot. Well, if I stepped on your foot, I missed the aim. I was aiming for your heart. Sometimes we've got to hurt a little bit. Sometimes we've got to prick ourselves a little bit, feel the pain, and realize we need to change. If you need to make a change tonight, if you need to become a faithful child of God, whatever it is that we can do to help you to get there, Won't you please come as we stand and as we sing?